Every season is spooky season in our book. So settle in and prepare to be shook. You are listening to Shook, a comedic podcast about all things paranormal and unexplained. I'm Santa. Hey friends, I'm Amanda. And fun fact, Santa, did I tell you that I recently witnessed a National Geographic-esque moment in real life the other day when I was in Savannah? No, you didn't. Okay, well, I'm going to tell you now. So Connolly and I were hanging out on River Street, you know, the fanciest, classiest part of Savannah, and we're up against River Street Suites sitting on a bench when suddenly a flock of pigeons swoops down over us onto the, the cobble, and we're like, what's going on? And we realize it wasn't just pigeons. The pigeons were attacking a hawk that had taken one of their own, and they fought them off, but when they came over... I was like, oh my goodness. Like, I literally thought that that pigeon was done for. But he literally swatted him with his with his wing and he got out of their grasp. I said, hell yeah, you go, pigeon. Shook bird watching podcast. One thing about me, I do love to bird watch. <laughs> What's your fun fact? Well, my fun fact is that I'm snowed in. It started snowing last night right when the weather said it would, and it never has stopped. It's still actively snowing. There's inches and inches of snow out there. My street is covered. My car is covered. My walkway is covered. I'm kind of scared. I hope that the sun comes out tomorrow because I am supposed to work tomorrow, but I may find myself being snowed in because... It's pretty bad. You showed me a video, and I said, that's a lot of inches. Yeah, it's a bit too much MPH, actually, because <laughs> I wanted to see some snow, you know what I mean? But, like, I don't want to be snowed in. I want to have my independence, and I want to be able to go to the store if I need to, which, fortunately, I got my provisions yesterday morning. So, if I'm snowed in, I have everything that I need, but, like... Yeah, it's never convenient to be snowed in. Yeah, I'm isolated. Unless, unless you're a teenager that doesn't want to go to school. I mean, I don't want to go to school, but, like, I need to go to school. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, and Santa, there's another fun fact. Oh, really? Yeah. It's our 40th episode. Oh, my God. It is our 40th episode. That's kind of a BD. Yeah. Because I remember way back when we did our 20th episode, we were freaking out that we even made it to our 20th episode. Yeah. And here we are at our 40th episode. Mm -hmm. We're over the hill. <laughs> so... Yay. Santa's been teasing her story, and it's it sounds like it's going to be good. It's one that I've actually been wanting to do for a while, and I can't wait to do it. But anyways, I'm pretty sure you go first this week, so y'all are going to have to wait for my story. What story had you shook this week? The story that had me shook this week is under the unexplained category, and it's kind of a nostalgic mystery. It's known as the Oakville Blobs or the Oakville Blobs Incident. Now, what the heck does that mean? Well, I'm fixing to tell you, so hold on to your hat. All right, Santa, I'm about to take you back in time. The year is 1994. You and I are just little teeny tiny tots, and we're in the city, the teeny tiny little town of Oakville, Washington, who now only has a population of like 700 and 43 or something like that people but back in the 90s it was in the 600s like this is a teeny tiny speck on the map and yeah there's a little there's a little mystery attached to this place so with that said when you think of the pacific northwest 
what's the first thing you think of besides Nirvana, other grunge bands, and let's face it, the Oscar-worthy performances that we received from the Twilight Saga? Um, so besides that, I just think of Rain, mm-hmm. the legend of Great Sushi, also Pacific Northwest, I think of my fave sketch comedy show, Portlandia. Of course, yes. Well, you are right on the money with that first one. When I think of the Pacific Northwest, I too think of rain, not necessarily the quantity, but the frequency in which it rains. In fact, I'm pretty sure it rains more down here in the South. Over there, it is scattered, smothered, and covered several days a year. Just a little bit of mist. It's pretty misty. It's pretty cloudy. To get to the point, you've seen the movie Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs? Mm-hmm. Well, how about this? Try this on for size. Cloudy with a Chance of WTF. Because I'm going to tell you right now what these Oakville blobs are, okay? You ready? <laughs> Hold on to your hats here. I'm not, like I said, I'm not messing around. I this cannot. this Oakville this Oakville town is so small. 743 folks as of 2024. It was back in the 600s, back in the 90s. What had happened in Oakville in 1994, over the course of about three weeks, several people in this teeny tiny town experienced something that, at first glance, seemed like something normal. Rain. Hail, something inclement. All over the ground, all over these Oakville streets, approximately in a 20-mile radius, there were specks about the size of rice, small blobs, they called them, of what basically looked like something that I already said, but you thought it was gross, so I'm not going to say it, but it was a clear (laughs) jelly-like substance. This happened over the course of a few weeks. I want to say it rained, quote-unquote, about six times over that time period. And all of the residents of Oakville were waking up to what the heck is this? What's all over the ground? It's not rain. It's not sleet. It's not snow. It's not hail. It's what the hail? Because it was this clear gelatinous substance that, and here's the kicker, people who came into contact with this substance became violently ill with symptoms that were akin to the flu or vertigo. All kinds of crazy things were making people sick for up to seven weeks, sometimes more. These people got real ill from this stuff. So it was August 7th of 1994 when Officer David Lacey, he is driving around these Oakville streets with his civilian buddy who he's got riding shotgun, and it began to rain, or so they thought. Officer Lacey and his friend, they were just driving out in these messy conditions, and of course they had their windshield wipers on like any reasonable individual, and obviously that would normally clear it up, but not on this night. This time the windshield wipers just I hate to say the word smeared, but it smeared this substance all over their windshields and they couldn't see where they were going. So, of course, they had to pull over. And David's like, yo, I'm going to investigate this. But he's got a weird feeling about it, and understandably so, because that's the last thing you would expect to see falling out of the sky, right? So he puts his gloves on. Even though he put those gloves on, David got sick and he said, it was to the point where I could hardly breathe. I started to put it together that possibly, whatever this substance was, it made me violently sick like I had never been before, to the point where it just totally shut me down. Well, he's not the only one. Like I said, a bunch of people got sick, and even more sad, dozens of small animals, cats, dogs, amphibians, and the like, passed away after coming into contact with this stuff. There was this other woman who was badly affected by this stuff named Dottie Hearn. She woke up one morning, saw her streets were glistening, and she said, what is going on? She goes outside, and she does not wear gloves. 
and she scoops up this jelly and she decides she's going to hold on to it for later. So she sticks it in her refrigerator and that's important for later, but she sticks it in her refrigerator for, for safekeeping or maybe even her freezer rather. After coming into the, into contact with this stuff, she also gets extremely sick. She realized that what she had done was probably a bad idea touching that stuff, but you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. She suddenly feels the following. She says, I started feeling dizzy. Everything started moving around and around and it got worse. And as it did, I became increasingly nauseated. So she is like sprawled out on the ground. So her daughter, Sunny Barclift, she sees her just chilling on the ground and she's like, holy cow, what is going on? She approaches her mom. She gets down. She says, she was cold, drenched with perspiration. My mom had been vomiting and she had extreme vertigo. She complained that she had difficulty with her vision. Her vision was blurring. So what's going on? She's sick for quite a while, like several other folks. Lots of uh, flu-like stuff, vertigo, dizziness, just generally feeling unwell. People are vomiting all over the place. It's just terrible. And this goes on for over seven weeks in some cases. The pandemic we just went through, it was kind of, in my mind's eye, similar to that in that people were knocked on their ass for weeks at a time. Seven weeks, though, that's extreme. That's a lot. That's a long time to be holed up in the bed. I simply am still confused by this case. After Dottie's been hospitalized for several days at this point, she eventually gets diagnosed with this type of inner ear infection, but the ear infection that she got diagnosed with is specifically one that's reoccurring, and Dottie, bless her heart, she never had another symptom again after she got out of the hospital for this mess. She never had another dizzy spell like that. Um, And she, to this day, still does not know what caused this. Neither does anybody else. Nobody knows. Those samples that were in her freezer and perhaps some other samples that have been collected by other civilians in the area, they were sent off to the Washington Department of Health and their microbiologist, Mike McDowell, he tested these specimens and his results were confusing, for a lack of a better word. He said that the results showed that there was organic matter in these blobs. There were white blood cells and at least two types of bacteria within the blobs. But the weird part is that these cells lacked nuclei. Basically, like you remember in biology class, like the OG, like what you have to have to technically be a cell. That could technically maybe be the bacteria part. That part was kind of fuzzy to me, but I read that one of the bacteriums that was inside, one of the bacteria is found in the gut. So there were folks that speculated that it could have come from airplane waste. Someone goes up in an airplane, they're, you know, catching their red eye and they're like, I got to drop a deuce and then whatever. But no, because human waste coming off of an airplane was confirmed to be dyed blue. And this substance was crystal clear like crystal clear i'm gonna send you a picture when we get done recording but literally it looks like clear flubber it's it's so strange mike mcdowell the fellow who decided he was going to examine these specimen he's the one that said that this was not true if i'm not mistaken but the quote is the faa ruled that out because under the regulations human waste is dyed blue the substance was not blue it was crystal clear in color that was the the primary theory of what this could have been, but there are a couple of other theories that I want to run by you, and you tell me what you think. 
The second theory is people speculated that perhaps it was a school of jellyfish that had gotten blown up off the shore and then evaporated up to the sky only to come back down in the form of precipitation. The third theory is that it was localized government biological warfare testing. Because here's the kicker, Santa, and this is where I end my story. Are you ready? The samples that Mike McDowell tested and other people may have tested, they're gone. Where did they go? It's giving cover-up. It's giving confiscated and destroyed. Yeah. I'm still shook. I saw this on Unsolved Mysteries back in the day and watched a few YouTube videos about this to see if there were any updates. And as far as I could gather, there are still no answers. There is no end-all, be-all truth to what this stuff was. So I'm a little confused. And I'm, and I'm going to need some I'm gonna need some answers pretty stat. When did this happen? 1994, mm -hmm. This happened in August of 1994. Well, shit. That was long enough ago that people could do a cover-up unnoticed. Mm -hmm. This will be the 30-year anniversary. I don't think any humans passed away, but a couple of the people that I mentioned, they had pets that died. I'm pretty sure there were some birds, frogs, things like that that passed away. They simply couldn't handle all this sauce, whatever it was. It was too much in pH. <laughs> I hope that we never have to deal with that down here in these parts. Because like I said, in the south, in the southeast, it, when it rains, it pours. And I definitely don't want to have to scoop that off my driveway. Thank you. No, and I won't be touching it. Not even with a gloved hand. What I'm going to do is mind my business. Because I'm not a doctor. I might call somebody to come out. You know, I might be like, I need y'all to come out here. Whoever <laughs> can call animal control. Somebody be like, help. there's a substance that might be an animal or belong to an animal. I don't know. You decide. <laughs> call poison control. For real, Something. though. But that is the mystery of the Oakville blob incident. And I have been holding on to that one for a while because it was one of my favorite stories that I ever did read and see. Um, but yeah, enough about me. What story had you shook this week? I'm going to give you a hint with a song, and I hope that that's all you need to figure out what I'm going to be talking about. Oh gosh, that's a lot of pressure. All right, here we go. I have to do this with a straight face somehow. Okay. Yo ho, all hands, hoist the colors high. Yes. <laughs> Heave ho, thieves and beggars, never shall we die. What do you think I'm doing? Are you covering the Kraken or something about the North Sea? Both. <gasps> Actually. Oh my God, I can't believe I got it right. Yeah. That was so beautiful basically, singing. It was not, but thank you. Um, <laughs> thank you all. Yeah, so basically I'm going to tell you about the North Sea and why it's so fucking scary. Then tell you about one of the North Sea's greatest mythological creatures. So for the past month or so, 
Videos showcasing the treacherous North Sea have been circulating on TikTok. So much so that this fascination on the platform is being referred to as North Sea Talk. If you're scrolling TikTok and you hear the song, Hoist the Colors, you know you're about to watch some ships getting violently tossed around the North Sea. Oh, yeah. So this body of water is not only known for deadly storms, but is also steeped in Norse mythology and deeply rooted in European history. The North Sea is located between Great Britain, Denmark, Norway, Germany, the Netherlands, Belgium, and France. So the North Sea connects to the Atlantic Ocean through the English Channel in the south and the Norwegian Sea in the north. The English Channel is the busiest shipping area in the world, and the Norwegian Sea contains rich deposits of oil and natural gas in its sea bottom, which is being explored and drilled for collecting those resources. The North Sea has been at the center of geopolitical affairs since the Middle Ages, playing a large role in the rise of the Vikings, which were Scandinavians in search of fortune. Their masterful design and command of Viking longships was a huge advantage over anyone they encountered in commerce, exploration, or warfare. Cargo ships and other vessels nowadays are engineered with good buoyancy systems so as to not flip over in a bad storm. And that is how many of these ships we see in the videos of North Sea storms make it out unscathed. In the event of a particularly extreme storm surge, those on the coast are especially vulnerable. A storm surge is a tsunami-like phenomenon of rising water, commonly associated with cyclones, usually caused by high-speed winds and drops in atmospheric pressure. It is theorized that climate change is a factor in the increase in formation of these storm surges and may also increase their intensity over time. So stay tuned for more storm surges, probably. Hopefully not, though. The coasts of the Netherlands, Belgium, Germany, and Denmark are particularly at risk for being affected by a North Sea storm surge. Storm surges have been wreaking havoc on these shores since at least the Middle Ages, with the first storm, Julianenflut, being recorded on February 17, 1164. In 1228, a storm tide was recorded to have killed more than 100,000 people. In January 1362, the second Marcellus flood hit the southern coast of the North Sea, also killing over 100,000 people. Mm -mm. During this disaster, large parts of the coast were swallowed up by the sea for good, including the lost city of Rungholt, an area of land that would be considered part of present-day Germany now. Rungholt is sometimes referred to as the Atlantis of the sea, and some legends say that the city being lost to the flood was a divine punishment for the sins of those who lived there. A local myth suggests that you can still hear the church bells of Rungholt ringing underwater if you're out at sea in that area on a calm night. Fun fact, in June 2023, researchers found the probable location of Rungholt under mudflats in the Vaden Sea. That was recent. Yeah, so stay tuned because they're probably going to unearth a bunch of artifacts and stuff from Rungholt. The lost city of Rungholt is not the only mystery of the North Sea. There are also legends of sea monsters, deities, and other mythological creatures buried deep in the history of the Scandinavian region. Probably the most famous of all North Sea monsters is the Kraken. Mm -mm -mm. 
The kraken is a mythological cephalopod said to be up to 40 to 50 feet long and located in an area of the North Sea between Norway and Iceland. This colossal octopus was first recorded in 1180 by King Sverre of Norway. It was later mentioned in a travelogue by Italian Catholic priest Francesco Negri in 1700 during his Scandinavian travels. In 1734, Danish-Norwegian explorer Hans Egede claimed to see the kraken and compared it to the Hafgufa, which was a giant whale-like figure in medieval lore. The first to describe the kraken as a titanic octopus-like creature was Norwegian bishop Pontipiden in 1753. Legend has it that the kraken lurks 80 to 100 fathoms deep just a few miles out from the coast anywhere between Norway and Iceland. The measurement of fathoms is like one fathom is six feet. So. Whoa. I never knew that. Yeah. So it lurks like really deep. Fishermen may encounter kraken while fishing for cod and lings in waters that they measure to be 20 to 30 fathoms. This is because the kraken, according to legend, creates a false bottom. So when the fisherman drops their plummets, they hit bottom at 20 to 30 fathoms deep, but it's actually just like the top of the kraken's head or a kraken's like giant tentacle or something. The kraken has just like made a floor-like bottom for their plummet to hit that is so sneaky it's like psych it's very much psych and very much sneaky very much snake behavior so the area where the fishermen go is usually like very lush with fish so it's like a good fishing spot but it is said according to the myth that the reason for that is because the kraken secretions attract all of the fish to it, and that's the reason for the concentration of the cods and the lings and other fish that make it such a good fishing spot in the case of a kraken sighting. So, like, if you've got a bunch of fish in one concentrated area and then also the kraken involvement, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah. So just because there's a good concentration of fish somewhere doesn't mean the kraken's nearby, but, like, the kraken lure the fish with their secretions okay that's a cool fun fact but i have to say i absolutely loathe the word secretion (laughs) i absolutely do as well i hate it i hate it and i don't like tentacle things either Mm -mm, nope fun fact i hate tentacles if the kraken emerges from the water its tentacles could reach as high as the ship and if it sinks back into the water it creates a maelstrom suction vortex that could pull the fishermen or even the ship down with it so that is all just the legend of the kraken all of that is alleged and rumored by those who have seen it and have had the lore passed down um, in the scandinavian area there is of course a reasonable possible explanation for the kraken there is an Mm -hmm. actual biological giant squid apparently yeah that has been seen in many cases and has washed upon the shore has been measured has been researched this is a real yeah animal some have attributed kraken sightings as belonging to the giant squid which can grow up to 42 feet in length and up to nearly 2,000 pounds in weight that's too many feet and way too many pounds yeah that 
is too much MPH. And their eyes are the size of dinner plates. The giant squid usually stays 300 to 1,000 meters under the sea, so they are rarely seen at all unless they are sick, dying, or dead and washed ashore. Sea creatures like the giant squid are theorized to be able to grow to such a size because of the phenomenon of deep sea gigantism, which is the tendency for deep sea dwelling animals to be larger than other creatures in more shallow areas. Reasons for this are the colder temperatures in the deep sea level, food scarcity, reduced predation pressure. My predation pressure's slow. (laughs) We're going to keep going with this bit until we can no longer go on with this bit. Reasons for this are the colder temperatures at the deep sea level, food scarcity, reduced predation pressure, and increased dissolved oxygen concentrations. The deep sea gigantism is basically said to be an adaptive trait to survive and thrive in these circumstances. There have been some encounters with creatures described as giant squid, which you may also associate as being the kraken too, but these particular encounters were really focusing on it being a squid, like a giant squid. Okay. In November 1861, a French Navy corvette called Electon spotted a giant squid in the water, and the captain ordered the crew to capture it. The crew opened fire on the giant squid, but it was not affected by the gunfire. They then tried to lasso it and pull it up onto the ship, but it was way too heavy. In all the commotion, a piece of the squid tore off and was kept to be studied. Oh, During the night, yeah, it was donated to a museum. During the 1930s, the Royal Norwegian Navy tanker called Brunswick encountered three separate giant squid attacks. In these incidents, the ship's crew was unharmed, but the squid were killed by the ship's propellers. Also, this is a kind of ironic giant squid attack. During the 2003 Jules Verne Trophy race around the world, a giant squid latched onto a competing yacht and was actually pulling on it and then let go after the boat captain stopped the boat completely. The ironic part about that is that Jules Verne is the author of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Oh my gosh. Featuring the Kraken. That's crazy. The Kraken is featured in that novel. Um, So it was kind of funny that that happened in a boat race, basically, with his name attached. So I say all that to say... Is the kraken actually just an innocent giant squid or something even larger and more sinister? You decide. So, although primarily a Scandinavian legend, the lore of the kraken made its way south to France and eventually west to America. In 1830, English writer Alfred Lord Tennyson wrote the poem, The Kraken. In 1851, American author Herman Melville released the novel Moby Dick, featuring the vast pulpy mass furlongs in length. In 1866, French writer and politician Victor Hugo wrote the novel Toilers of the Sea during his exile in Guernsey, in which his protagonist kills the creature that seamen call the octopus, scientists call a cephalopod, and which in legend is known as a kraken. In 1870, French author Jules Verne wrote 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, and in 1928, American science fiction writer H.P. Lovecraft wrote the short story, The Call of Chulu. 
The Kraken has since transcended these works of classic literature to prominence in film, video games, comics, and other media, and remains a fixture of North Sea mythology and Scandinavian folklore. I can't count the amount of times I saw comments on North Sea Talk videos assigning blame to the Kraken as the source of the sea's violent waters. And that's my story. Santa, that was great. <laughs> I loved it. And I have a couple questions for you after listening to that. Okay. Um, would you ask for or accept a high five from a Kraken? Are you now also craving calamari like I am? No and no. <laughs> um no, I would not accept a high five from a Kraken or the Kraken because I feel like even if he had the best intentions of like just giving me a sweet little high five, he would still just like knock me over and I might die. So best not. And then I actually really don't like octopus or squid. Okay. I don't like the texture. So mm-hmm. I'll pass. Okay, none for Santa, thanks. Okay, so I love calamari, but I had the displeasure of trying octopus for the first time a year or two ago. Someplace in Buckhead. I didn't love it. I didn't love it. It's so chewy. And for what? So, Santa, when I was a kid, I don't know about you, but my special interest was watching Animal Planet. Okay? So I think it's kind of funny that this whole thing kind of came full circle because we started off talking about the pigeon that got attacked in Savannah, and then the globs falling from the sky that could have had to do with jellyfish, and then suddenly you're a marine biologist. Like, what? Santa the marine biologist. (laughs) Certified by Wikipedia, books, Mm -hmm. and some other things. Back to the National Geographic of it all. I've only seen footage of those giant squid dead. I've I don't think I've seen footage mm-hmm. of one alive before. And I think that's very, very interesting. And like the ocean, I think the fear of the ocean is called like the lassophobia. I think that's the, the word for the fear of the sea or the depths of the ocean, mm. primarily because of giant squid. Like those things freak me out so much. Um, I simply cannot deal. Don't sign me up for that excursion. Yeah, I don't want to go see the ruins of the Titanic. I'll just watch the movie, the James Cameron 1997 classic starring Kate Winslet and Leonardo DiCaprio giving the performances of a lifetime. There's footage of the ruins of the Titanic in that movie, and that'll do. Yeah. I don't need to get on a shoddy craftsmanship submarine with... A video game controller system yeah and then die down there no I'm scared and I'm also scared of the ocean in general like besides going to see the Titanic ruins in a submarine like just I don't really like swimming in the ocean because when I was in Savannah after your wedding and I went to Tybee Island with Sonata I was having a great time those like two hours that I got to be there except a jellyfish stung me Yeah, I was in very shallow water. Yeah, I was in very shallow water, and then this jellyfish stung me, and I felt it, and I was like, I started screaming out in the water, and I, like, fell in the water, and I was like, best friend, and Sonata was like, what happened? And she, like, ran over there, and I was like, I don't know, and 
And I was like, I think maybe I'm stung by something. And then I just started like kicking my foot to try to get it off. And it did get off of me. Whenever I got out of the water and onto the beach, I saw my leg. There was like suction marks and everything like from where it was attached. Like there was a complete like outline in my leg of inflammation of where it was attached. It was all red and just exactly where it was. It almost looked like a starfish on my leg and it it was so like like a burning just burning a burn some of the inflammation started going down like the throbbing went down and then we ended up going to some crab shack place and I got me some food and then I felt better but in the meantime (laughs) you were like (laughs) no I would have been too I would have I would have cried I did cry I was grown crying and there were like kids everywhere but I was like (laughs) I was crying on the beach I've never been stung before and I prayed to sweet lord baby Jesus that I never get stung because I've heard nothing but terrible things uh one star review ever heard of it I I don't want it and I'm sorry you went yeah and I don't want a shark attack like the jellyfish attack was honestly traumatizing enough and next time I go to the beach, I might get back in the shallow water, but I don't know, like that kind of, that messed me up, but I would like to go back to the beach. So like when we go to Oregon, when we go to Seaside, Oregon for the Oregon Paranormal Conference, I want us to go to the beach at some point while we're there and I probably won't get in cause it's March. Yeah. But I would like to just be on the beach, like a sunrise or a sunset on the beach. Yeah. One one of those. Yeah, it's going to be code. I looked at the the weather forecast, like the general weather trends for March in Seaside, Oregon. And I want to say the highs were like in the 50s, 55, 56. Um, So, yeah, we can go to the beach. But what I was going to tell you, Santa, is – I'm right there with you as far as the ocean's concerned. I don't like getting in it for a few reasons. Jellyfish, obviously. One time my cousin got caught in a riptide, and you have to swim parallel to the riptide to be able to get out. But me, one thing about me, I have no sense of direction. I get lost going to the Kroger down the street, probably. Like, I don't know where I am ever. Like, I never know where I am. And I would definitely drown. Like, guaranteed, 100%, I would drown bodies of water like actually like make me sick thinking about them sometimes I know that it would be cool to go like scuba diving or something I don't even know if I want to do that because I think it would freak me out because if I scuba dive then I'm gonna see the jellyfish right next to me and then I'm gonna start freaking out and then it's gonna be like beelining towards me to see yeah probably Connolly likes to scuba dive but I told him Please do not ask me to do that because I went out of my comfort zone when he asked me to go skiing and I hated it. I hated it. Not that I hated it. I just don't like the code first and foremost, but also I have the athleticism of a sloth on a pogo stick. I have no business. Because you and Connolly are married, it's good that you at least tried skiing because it's like a compromise type thing. It's like, well, I'll try this for you. My mom always used to say, don't knock it till you try it. Well, I did. I did. And see, now you tried it and you know you don't like it. So now next time Connelly wants to go skiing, you can say, I'm staying at the lodge. I did. We were in Colorado. And yes, I had a gummy. And yes, I got in the hot tub. And yes, I had the time of my life not skiing. 
Yeah, that's exactly what I would do in that scenario. That would be really fun. <laughs> like, you want to talk about too much MPH? Skiing is too much MPH. Okay, so there's this point in Snowmass, which is out in Aspen, Colorado. It's called Fanny Hill. It sounds like it's, oh, little Fanny Hill. Are you going to fall on your Fanny or Fanny Hill? <laughs> no, bitch. I <laughs> am dodging these six and eight and 12 year old kids badass kids zipping like they don't know what death is because they don't and one ski stumbles over the other i face plant and then there's a a mountain of children on top of me this is based on a on a true story i can't even do the easiest part that's supposed to be one of the easiest parts of snowmass i can't i would be struggling to santa can you show off your amazing shirt I want the world to see it. This is my fight song. <laughs> Take back my life song. <laughs> yeah, this is this is my estate sale find. Yeah, from my ex-boyfriend's estate sale. Not because he died, but because he runs an estate sale company, allegedly. I'm just kidding, not allegedly. He runs an estate sale company now, which I found out when I accidentally showed up at one of his estate sales. And he, I mean, we had a, a nice little reunion, but it turns out he wasn't happy to see me. But I did buy this at the estate sale. Thanks, Todd. Okay. Well, Santa, you have any final thoughts or is that our show? I feel like that's our show. Great. That's our show. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed. That's our show. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And if you live in Oregon or in the Pacific Northwest in general and want to come see us at Oregon Ghost Conference, please do. And if you are already coming, let us know. Until next time, stay shook and stay tuned. Watch out for the Kraken. Thank you so much for tuning into Shook. New episodes of Shook drop every other Wednesday on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you love to listen to your favorite podcasts. For more information on today's episode, please check out our show notes. And until next time, stay shook. Do you have a personal paranormal encounter you'd like to share with us? If so, visit our website, shookpodcast.com, and fill out our contact form. Or send us an email at shookparanormalpod at gmail.com. And one last thing, friends. Shook is a 100% independently produced podcast. So please consider supporting our show by either leaving a review or contributing to our Patreon page. You can find that at patreon.com slash shookpodcast.